All right, well, I know John told you to take the survey right now, so if you haven't finished, stop. <laughs> right? Because I want you to listen. <laughs> it's hard when you get mixed messages. So let's just say that you say, my children are the most precious thing to me. We'd all resonate with that, right? But you work 12 hours a day, six days a week, and rarely see your children. Let's say you say, man, I love my wife. We'd all say, way to go, dude. But you never compliment her. You don't listen to her when she talks, and you usually assert your will over hers. Let's say you say, I want to be worth a million dollars someday. And we'd all say, now you're talking. But you have four credit cards that are maxed out, and you have so much stuff that you can't park your cars in your garage. Let's just say you say, I want to marry a faithful man. And we'd all say, dang right, you ought to marry a faithful man. But you quickly jump into bed with every man you go out with. When you go to complain to your friend that your kids never talk to you about the important things in your life, that your wife is always trying to dominate you, that I just can't sleep because I'm so worried about my stuff, and that there just aren't any guys worth marrying nowadays, what do you think your friend is going to say to you? Well, your friend is probably going to say, I hate to be the one to break the news to you, but you might consider that you've done this to yourself. And your friend would be right. Because when you and I live this way, we say one thing, but we do another. And what's the outcome of living like this? Probably very different than what we're hoping for. And so could we all agree that if this describes you and me at some level that we've got a big problem? In fact, it's so big that we're going to talk about it for the next few months. When your life isn't turning out as you hoped, when you're stuck and you don't know what to do, the secret to moving forward is going back to the basics. It's the only way to build a great life. And so, the most basic thing that we can do to solve this kind of inconsistency between what we say and what we actually do is to behave like we believe. And so today I want us to begin to talk about the three biggest issues where you and I have to do this. And the three big issues are our stuff, people, and God. And we think that we can show that these three are actually the building blocks of all of our life. And so if we want to build a great life, we have to start there. And here's my theory. If you will consistently behave like you believe about the three big issues, you will live the kind of life that God created you to live, a life that is good for you and that honors him, and you'll start to build a great life. And so today, I want us to tackle the most basic issue of behaving like we believe with regard to God. And so let's pray together and then... We'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you 
that you are a great God. Lord, we believe in you. We believe that you are the powerful God who created this universe. We think you're incredibly wise and that you care about us. Lord, we think you proved that whenever you gave Jesus to die on the cross for us. And so because you've gone to such great lengths, Lord, to follow us up and to seek us out, we want our lives to include you right from the start. And so we pray today that your spirit would speak to us. Our hearts are open. Our minds are open. We want to hear what you have to say. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Well, the other day, Linda went through all of our stuff in storage, and she put all of my stuff in one place in the attic. And even though she didn't say anything about it, I thought I probably ought to go through it and see what I had. And to be honest with you, I thought I knew what I had. But to my surprise, I discovered a box of clothes that I didn't know anything about. In fact, I found in there about 10 really good pairs of pants. These are one of them right here. I bought them about 15 years ago, and I think the thing I'm most proud of is that I could still get in them. I couldn't believe it. I mean, like, I stripped down immediately to see if I could still put them on, right? And what I realized was is that I had bought more of these same pants not realizing I had them. Have you ever done that? Uh Uh-huh. Well, because I had them boxed up, they weren't doing me any good, and not only that, having them boxed up actually cost me. And I want to suggest that what I did with those pants is what many of us do with God. We believe in God, but we behave like we don't. We've got God boxed up, and he isn't having any effect in our lives. He's not a factor. God's just something we talk about, for many of us, many times, not someone we actually do life with. And y'all, there is a term for this. It's called functional atheism. A functional atheist is a person who believes in God, but doesn't live like it. So we believe that God made everything, but we act like everything belongs to us. We believe that God accepts everyone, and we're sure glad he's accepted us, but we discriminate against others. We believe God can do anything, but we're killing ourselves trying to carry all of our burdens all alone. What we believe isn't how we behave. And when we do this, it makes us a functional atheist. God has little to no effect in our actual lives. But if you think about it, if God is great and God is good, keeping him boxed up would be like having Kawhi Leonard on your D-League basketball team but not play any. It would be like living in San Antonio but driving to Austin for a taco. It would be like going to Whataburger and not ordering a number two meal. (laughs) Who would do that? Well, Jesus had something to say about this. Not so much about Whataburger, but about functional atheism. One day, he was teaching a crowd of people when all of a sudden, a guy yelled out of the crowd, hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
Well, wisely, Jesus stayed out of that trap, but he did use the moment to teach us about the effects of functional atheism on our lives. And so he told a story. He said, a rich man's land produced a bumper crop, and since his barns were not large enough to store all of it, he made a plan to replace his existing barns with new ones, store the crop, and retire to an early life of ease. And this guy was so motivated by this that it, was an all, it became an all-consuming project for him. He couldn't think about anything else. But just as he finished, God showed up and said, You fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now, why wasn't this guy rich toward God? Because God never crossed his mind. And I want you to notice that the last word in verse 21 is the first time God showed up in this guy's thinking. In all of his planting, in all of his harvest, in all of his building project, God was not a factor. The guy who Jesus called a fool was a functional atheist. And here's how we know. Jesus was teaching in the vicinity of Jerusalem when he told this story. And for certain, the question of inheritance rights that the guy yelled out to him earlier was a question of Jewish culture. This was a Jewish crowd, and the guy in Jesus' story was a Jewish man. As a Jewish man, this guy would have been circumcised according to the law of Moses. He would have learned large amounts of the Old Testament in synagogue school, and he would have participated in multiple religious ceremonies. Also, according to Jewish theological thought, all of the crowd listening to this story would have assumed that his wealth was a sign of God's blessing on his life. Everyone in the crowd would have known that this guy believed in God. Yet according to Jesus, his belief had no effect on how he behaved. He was a functional atheist. He had God in a box. And I want you to notice that it didn't turn out well for him. His life didn't end the way he had planned. In the end, it seems that he was totally surprised. In the end, it's apparent that he was pretty much alone. In the end, he lost everything he had lived for, everything that he thought important. And if he had gone to one of his friends to complain, his friend would have had to say to him, man, I'm sorry to be the one to have to break this to you, but... You ought to consider that you did this to yourself. And in the end, disaster struck this guy. And he took a long, hard fall way down. So has the way you've been living taken you down? Has it taken you down a path you didn't anticipate, kind of like the rich fool? How far are you willing to fall? 
But what if you were to let God out of the box? What if you did more than just believed in God? What if you actually behaved like it? How do we do that? And what difference would it make in our lives anyway? Well, if, if you want God to make a difference in your life, you have to ask him what he thinks about everything and then do what he says. And one way to do that is to involve him in our decisions. You know, when we boil it all down, our lives are a compilation of the decisions that we make. If we make poor decisions, we live a poor life. If we make good decisions, there's the potential that we live a great life. And here at City Church, we think that we make better decisions when God is actually guiding us. And so I want to offer you a practical decision-making template as a way of letting God out of the box. Now, every good decision that we make involves three different components. And we need to ask a question about every one of these. First of all, when you're getting ready to make a decision, you need to ask yourself, is the decision I'm about to make going to take me back to my past worst ways? And you remember what that was like. And if the decision that you're about to make is going to take you back there, don't do it. Because you've already been there. And you know you didn't like it when you were there. So don't decide to go there again. But we also need to ask the question, is the decision that I'm about to make going to undergird my future goals and dreams? And if the decision you're getting ready to make is not going to move you toward what you say you want your life to be about, don't go there because every bit of energy and money and time and resource that you're using is going to take you nowhere. But we also need to ask a question about our present circumstances. And to be honest, y'all, when we really think about making a decision, most of us are primarily concerned with our present circumstances. We always have a list of things that lead us toward a decision. However, there was always one thing that we consider to be the most important one. I call that the driver of our decision. And we need to ask God what he thinks about that primary driver, that thing that's most important to us in the list, the thing that is motivating us to make the decision that we think we want to make. And get this, as soon as you ask God about the decision you're going to make, you let him out of the box. That's exactly the opposite of what a functional atheist does, and it makes it possible for you and me to actually behave like we believe. So let's take the rich fool in Jesus' story as a case study, and let's see what would have happened for him if he had let God out of the box. 
Now, this guy, under his list of present circumstances, first of all, it was true. He had just had an unbelievable harvest. This was a once-in-a-lifetime harvest. And he could have said, you know, that wasn't just pure luck. He's like, you know, I'm pretty dang good at what I do as a farmer. And that's true. No farmer just lucks into a lifetime crop. There's risk, there's knowledge, there's work that has to go into it, and undoubtedly this guy did it. Also, he could have said, you know, I'm rich. And the fact that I'm rich means I have options about what to do with what I've got. And he realized that this once-in-a-lifetime harvest could set him up for an easy early retirement. And in order for that to happen, he was going to have to build bigger barns. Now, without a doubt, the driver of his decision, as Jesus told the story, was the fact that he had a chance to actually not have to work anymore. This could set him up. But Jesus gave us some insight to this. Jesus told us that this was really a matter of greed. And so, if this rich fool is going to let God out of the box, he asked to ask God, God, what do you say about greed? And if he had asked that question, he might have realized what Jesus said was actually true. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Perhaps he would have remembered what he had read in the Old Testament that the Lord tears down the proud man's house or a greedy man brings trouble on his family. He might have even understood what James said when he wrote, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And this last verse in particular would have reminded him that the God he believed in was a giving God and that the God he believed in had already set him up. He was rich. And instead of greed, he could have practiced gratitude. And according to Robert Emmons of the University of California at Berkeley, who has been studying the effects of gratitude for more than a decade, when you and I give thanks, there, it has a huge positive effect on our lives. Gratitude has physical effects. Emmons has found that people who are thankful have stronger immune systems, are less bothered by aches and pains, that it lowers your blood pressure, you sleep longer at night, and when you wake up, you're more refreshed. Gratitude has psychological effects. He's found that people with, uh, who give thanks have higher levels of positive emotions, are more alert. They experience more joy, more optimism, and more happiness. Emmons has also found that gratitude has social effects. Whenever a person is grateful, that person tends to be more helpful, more generous, more compassionate, more forgiving, outgoing, and feels less lonely and isolated. Y'all, recognizing God's goodness is just good for you and me. It's part of building a great life. Because when we let God out of the box, you know what we start to do? We start to imitate him. We start to behave like him. 
If this rich fool had done this, instead of way down, this rich fool's life would have ended on a spiritual high. He would have given away what God gave to him. His life would have turned out way better simply because he let God out of the box. At the very least, he wouldn't have been a fool. And so this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to let God affect every part of your life. Before you make another decision, ask God about it. Before you decide to make another move, enter into another relationship, take on another dollar of debt, uh, file for divorce, before you decide to buy another gram of cocaine, run your decision past God. Ask him what he thinks about it, then behave like you believe. Because this is the only way to move forward toward the life you want to live. And so I want to ask you, will you do this? Uh Uh-huh. I want you to know I'm dead serious about this. I am dead serious about this. Can you imagine how much would change for good in your life if you involved God in every decision? Can you imagine how much you could save yourself if you would let God out of the box? Not only that, but you and I are the church. Can you imagine the impact that City Church would have if thousands of us intentionally, consistently looked for ways to give away what God has given us because gratitude was our motive? Our own families would be radically changed. Kids would watch their moms and dad give their lives away, and I bet you they'd grow up to be just like them. Colleagues at work that are struggling with all kinds of stuff would find in us a listening ear, a caring heart, and a wise example to follow. Who knows what God might put in your heart to do? He might lead you to volunteer at the food bank or at a pregnancy crisis center, or he might lead you to volunteer at one of the jobs we need filled around here at City Church, or to coach your kids' Pop Warner team, or to volunteer as a big brother or a big sister, or uh, maybe to help another veteran who is suffering from the effects of combat, or he might deploy any of us to make a difference in the lives of the poor in underprivileged nations overseas. Y'all, there are a million ways for us to give our lives away and to give what God has given us. And so I ask you again, will you do this? Will you let God out of the box and stop living like a functional atheist? But be warned, if you do, you will probably start behaving like God And that could be dangerously good. (laughs) And so, Heavenly Father, we, as best we know how in this moment right now, we want to behave like we believe about you. Lord, we know you are a God of love, We know you are a giving God. We know that what we have, we have because you gave it to us. 
And Father, we want to begin to give our lives away just as you did. And so we ask you to guide us in doing that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.